Hello, everybody, and welcome to the newest podcast of the Canadian Open Neuroscience Platform, COMP. In today's episode, we will be talking with Alexander Jacob, PhD student in psychology at the University of Toronto. With COMP's support, Alex is currently working to develop new open source tools for imaging brain activity in awake, behaving animals. Let's hear what he has to say. Welcome to the COMP podcast. It's very good to uh, see you and meet you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about your career path? How did you uh, come to uh, do research in neuroscience and uh, what led you to apply for the COMP Scholar Program? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I got my start in neuroscience kind of in a uh, sort of backwards way. I mean, I, you know, I was always interested in science, um, you know, going through going through school and high school. I was also really interested in, in theater and doing backstage theater stuff. So there came a point kind of when I was applying for universities where I had to decide, you know, which thing I wanted to do. And I figured that you can do uh, amateur theater and professional neuroscience. Uh, that's okay. But uh, if you do professional theater and amateur neuroscience, uh, you can get into some trouble. <laughs> so, um, so I picked neuroscience and, and I've, uh, I've been, you know, I've fallen in love with it uh, ever since I first started. Uh, it's, I've been really lucky that it's been a, a good fit. So um, yeah, and, and, and sort of as I went along, I've, I've kind of pursued more of an engineering bent, though I'm in a psychology department. Um, I think the really cool thing about neuroscience is kind of how many different fields you can, uh, you can reach out and touch if you just, uh, you know, sort of um, look in the right areas. So it's, uh, it's been a really, really interesting um, process, and obviously I'm still in the middle of it. I'm not even done my PhD yet. And, uh, and where are you at the moment? You're at the University of Toronto, correct? That's correct. Yeah. So I'm, I'm in the Department of Psychology at the University of Toronto, and uh, my lab is affiliated with SickKids, the Hospital for Sick Children. So that's, wh- that's where we do most of our work is down here at SickKids. Are you Canadian by birth? I am. Yeah. Uh, I, was, I was born in Edmonton. Oh, um, right. Great city. Paris of the West. Um, yeah, very nice. Um, but, I, but I came to Toronto uh, when, I, when I started uh, my undergrad, and I've, I've been here ever since. It's a, it's a great city to work in. I assume uh, quite a bit warmer too, huh? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The winters are, are more tolerable here than they are back out west. Now, uh, <laughs> I noticed that you are active on Twitter. You're NeuroChatter on Twitter? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. How long have you been tweeting? Uh, just a couple of years. I have to say I'm not too terribly good at it. Um, uh, yeah, some, some of our other lab members and, and uh, Sheena, my supervisor, are uh, a lot better at it than I am. But it, it's, it's fun <laughs> to, to connect with the science community that way. Twitter's Twitter's a huge resource uh, that I didn't even realize existed sort of at the beginning of my grad school career. And you said you're also uh, an audio editor for a podcast? Yeah, that's right. Can so, you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, sure. So uh, the, the podcast is called Raw Talk. Uh, it's done through the Institute of Medical Science uh, here at the University of Toronto. And uh, every, every two weeks, uh, we have a new interview with some, some Toronto academics, uh, usually working in the, in the medical field, and also just sort of touching on topics that we think are, are interesting to the broader public about science. So it's been a really cool project. I just started on it, um, but they've been, they've been doing good work for, I think this is the fourth season. So... Um, yeah, you can check that oh, out if you're interested. Exciting. But yeah, it's it's a it's a fun way to sort of you know extend our findings beyond just the sort of like talks and immediate research community. Well, you know that we could always use more contributors for the CONP podcast. <laughs> and honestly, uh, sometimes uh, we're we're looking for ways to cross pollinate and uh, share content across platforms. So sure. uh, if you'd ever like to contribute, either by doing a CONP podcast or maybe just letting us know that you've done. Uh, 
podcast that might be of interest for the CONP. It's nice to just grow the community. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that would be great. Um, this is this is good to know. So yeah, we've already uh, uh, made something uh, hopefully useful for both of us, for the CONP <laughs> and for you by yeah, uh, syndicating some content. <laughs> exactly. You know, I think that would be really interesting. And it, uh, the Canadian community is really cool. The Canadian uh, open science community has been has been really great. I think because we're maybe because we're a smaller country, it's uh, it's easier to make these connections and, and you know, cross pollinate pollinate, like you said. Yeah, as, as Alan Evans says, uh, usually uh, the, the right country is uh, big enough to make an impact, but small enough to be manageable. Exactly. So I think Canada qualifies. Yeah, no, that, it, it's, it's been really awesome working in Canada. So can you tell us a bit about your project? Uh, what are you working on at the moment? And uh, what was your uh, CONP Scholar uh, proposal for? Sure. So the, the, the project that CONP is, is supporting me on is work we're doing to develop um, open source miniature uh, fluorescence microscopes. So, um, you know, there, there's been some really exciting advances in the field. Um, the, my lab, you know, sort of traditionally looked at behavior and how, um, you know, what are the neural correlates of behavior. And, uh, oh, I, I guess about seven or eight years ago now, um, some, some folks out of California developed a new technology where they're basically able to miniaturize uh, you know, a standard fluorescence microscope and make it so small that they could put it on the head of a mouse. So you could implant a lens cool. into the mouse brain. So how small is that? Uh, it's just a couple grams. It's maybe you know, 10 centimeters tall. It, 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 you know, the mice just wear it on their heads and they can walk around and interact with each other and, and do all sorts of behavior. So we're, we're talking you know, right down kind of at the, at the, <laughs> the limit of sort of um, standard, standard um, sort of commercially available tools. So we use... Very impressive. We use, how about the, the surface area of the microscope? Like how, how big is it on top of the head? Sure. So um, I guess it's about... Now I should, I should look at the measurements again. I work with these things all the time, but honestly, my mind for these things isn't so good. It's about, you know, maybe... Um, I don't know, two centimeters by two centimeters, maybe a little bit larger than that. Probably more like oh, four by four oh, is the, the, the big impressive. footprint. But the, the lens itself that we image through is, uh, is two millimeters in diameter. So everything. So there's these mice walking around with this kind of a, a cylinder on top of it. Exactly. Head. Yeah. So it's it's really interesting. I mean, it's it's made up of of basically just you know commercially available parts. Actually, a lot of the things that we use are the same technology that's in your cell phone. We have a little LED that provides the uh, the light that goes down into the brain. That's just the same as you would see on a you know on a, a cell phone or something like that. And the camera is actually similarly the big advance. Uh, that has helped us a lot is, you know, these miniaturized CMOS cameras. And those are the same things that you can use to take, you know, nice pictures on your phone. Cool. And you're recording in real time? You're recording all the time? Or exactly. So we, we, performing we typically only record uh, for the duration of, exper of an experiment, which might, you know, be between... 10 and 20 minutes, perhaps longer. There, there are biological considerations to take into account uh, when you're looking at the bleaching. So we're using, we combine this technology with a genetically encoded calcium indicator. Uh, so what that means is that if, if, if you're imaging all the time, you're eventually going to degrade the proteins that are, that are being made by the brain. So our, our recording sessions are short, but it's long enough. And it is in real time in the sense that we can correlate what the mouse is doing at a particular time point with activity in a population that's maybe hundreds, uh, several hundreds of, of neurons large. And how do you stabilize the image? I imagine that mouse motion is not very easy to correct for. Yeah, no. So it, it's uh, it, this actually touches, I think, on one of the most interesting components of this of this project, because you're right. You know, the images that we get out aren't perfect uh, right out of the box, and so there, there's actually a lot of work that's done on the computational side uh, by some of my colleagues in the lab um, and other CONP supported scholars, um, looking at at how we can not only stabilize the images but then actually extract information out of the images, because you have to imagine what we get out of these microscopes is is just a, a video of a bunch of blobs you know 
getting bright and then getting dim again. And from that, we have to extract information about what are the cells, what is their activity over time, how are they correlated, and then from there you can go on and do analyses to look at sort of how the network is behaving. Um, but but you're absolutely right that the there's a there's a big computational aspect to it. The motion itself can actually be corrected for a little easier just by engineering things properly. So if your connection to the mouse head is stable enough, you don't actually get that much motion. Um, but there are absolutely things related to that that we need you know computational support uh, to to get around. Cool. So what is your uh, open science deliverable for this project? What aspect of this project would you like to make more transparent, uh, more reproducible, maybe? So we're, we're interested in kind of, of every step of the process. Like I said, there's, there's definitely an engineering component. That's the actual physical construction of the microscope, you know, how it works, where to get the parts, how to assemble it. And that's the thing that we're, that we're focusing on most closely now, both um, making our current design more open and, of course, we're working on new designs to deliver... Um, things that weren't available in previous versions of, of the microscope. Um, uh, and continuing to, to develop those and make those open, a, a, big, a big focus of our particular project, because we're not the only ones doing this. There are actually a number of other great groups out of the States. Uh, Miniscope, uh, originally out of UCLA, is one of the biggest, and there are several others. There's one that, that uh, they use in birds. I think it's called Finchscope. But um, in general, all of these projects are providing their resources online in the open, and, and we've done the same uh, mostly over, over GitHub. Um, so continuing to, to communicate both how to construct these scopes and the best ways to use them uh, so that labs that maybe don't have, you know, that much of an engineering background, and that's certainly the case for us. We didn't start as, as an engineering lab going into this. Um, so so making, these, making the plans and construction available uh, for the wider community. And then as a second part, in addition to the engineering, there's also the computational side. So that's making code available um, to better analyze these calcium imaging videos um, and, and better extract cell signals that you can use for your particular analyses. So those are, those are the main deliverables from this project. Cool. So when you make this uh, uh, microscope open source, do you expect it was going to be relatively cheap to make one, to build one? Yeah. So that's that's been the the one of the real focuses of our of our design is making sure that the the cost of parts is achievable for labs of any size. So right now the the design that we're using costs about thirteen hundred dollars to make, thirteen hundred Canadian dollars. The majority of that is the camera, but overall that's a that's pretty affordable for a single system. By comparison, there are a couple of commercial companies that are that are making these available for sale. And one of their packages is about $150,000 for one or maybe two scopes. Two orders of magnitude. Two orders of magnitude cheaper. So that's been the that's been the real advantage and sort of the the real reason why why open science has has been the winner here, I think, uh, is because we're able to make this technology available to such a much larger group of labs who can use it to answer questions that they're interested in instead of, you know, keeping it at this level where only big research groups are going to be able to afford it. Cool. So, you know, it's, it's very impressive that you're trying to make uh, very expensive technology widely available. Would you say that this is a philosophy that your entire lab has? Is this something that is uh, the modus operandi of your lab? Or is your project kind of an outlier in terms of transparency and openness? I think the general focus of transparency is one that our lab has had for a while. It's, it's actually been really interesting. You know, when, when you look at a project like this that involves a lot of um, engineering and, and develop, you know, sort of building of new systems, um, that's where it can be really easy to make a project open, like, like we were talking about, right? You can find a way to make it cheap and then you can make that available. A lot of the things that we've been doing up to now have mostly used, you know, those commercial systems I was talking about earlier, not for imaging, but for the sort of behavior we do. And 
making those open has been a lot more challenging because I, I think I I think labs in a way are small C conservative. They they want to pick something that works, right? So sometimes that can mean buying from a supplier. Um, but as we move into spaces where we are more able to do things ourselves, the the focus really has been on on sharing that with the rest of the community because you know we all benefit when we are using the best techniques and technology. So what are your career plans? What do you hope to do after <laughs> this project is finished? That's a that's a great question. Um, you know, obviously, I'd like to ultimately I'd like to to continue the the sort of work that I'm doing here, which is you know, pursuing curiosity and answering questions and developing new techniques that hopefully, you know, allow people to answer their own questions in interesting ways. So as for how I will realize that uh, in my particular case, it's not immediately clear. Obviously, the postdoc is is one way to do things. But even in industry, we're seeing more and more um, kind of interesting positions for, for neuroscientists opening up. But it's sort of it's sort of melding that, you know, potential for working in industry with hopefully, you know, continued focus on being open. I mean, I think that there are a number of open source software projects that are really interesting. So it's a matter of seeing how those move into the neurospace, um, you know, on the industry side that I'm still interested in looking at. So I guess thinking one, one level higher, uh, just about the way that science gets practiced these days, uh, were you to continue with an academic career, which is something you're definitely considering at this mm -hmm. stage, uh, is there any aspect of science that uh, you find uh, slow, unproductive, uh, <laughs> Is there one aspect of science that you would like to see done differently? Yeah, I mean, that, obviously, that's a that's a big question. I think I think that science naturally really wants to be open, and I think that there have been a lot of strides made recently, um, you know, to make science a lot more open and to to share techniques a lot more widely. I think that for all the communicating that scientists do, sometimes scientists are very bad communicators, especially when it comes to things like uh, developing a technique and then maintaining it. I think that the, you know, in computer science or, you know, software engineering has done a much better job of putting an emphasis on making things reproducible, of developing a, a product or a technique that, that works not just for you, but for everybody. I think in science, because we're on the cutting edge, uh, so often we will build something and then it works and then we share the plans and then we say, okay, we don't have time to support this. We're a small group. We're going to move on. So, you know, one of the things that I'd like to see is in science is some way of, of balancing the need to continue to innovate with the need to support what you've already made and communicate it effectively, um, both to the public and even to other research groups. Um, because otherwise what you wind up with and what I've seen a lot of is there are a few, you know, large research groups that, that have the expertise, that have the techniques, that are able to do things. Um, but their results don't necessarily, it's not that they don't replicate, it's that other people don't have access to the techniques to even check their science and make sure it's robust. So, that's, you know, I think if I could make one big change in science, it would be, a, you know, a continued emphasis on, on really incentivizing a way to, to share our ideas more effectively and, and continue to maintain that because right now there, there's um, not so much of an incentive to do that necessarily. Cool. Well, uh, you know that uh, we do have a communications committee <laughs> as part of this <laughs> UNP. So if you ever want to yeah. join our meetings or contribute content, we yeah, would love to sure. host it. No, actually, the CONP has been super exciting because uh, it's like I was saying, you know, if we need institutional support to try to to, you know, bolster our ability to do open science, I think that CONP has been been really helpful in that in providing actual, you know, monetary support, putting money on the line to say, yes, we want open science in Canada. And it's an important goal. So uh, outside of the lab, who is uh, Alex Jacob? <laughs> you mentioned you do uh, theater. Do you still do yeah. it? Yeah. 
Um, not so much anymore as I've kind of, you know, progressed through the PhD, things have been, uh, gotten busier and busier, which is one of the reasons that I kind of wanted to get back in to doing something else. And, and so I started working on raw talk was I, I always really enjoyed the, the theater work that I did. I think it's really exciting to see a show come together. I think in a, in a lot of ways it's, it's like seeing a paper come together at the end, right? Things look messy and they don't always work. And then right at the end, you can usually pull something out that, that, um, you know, is a, is a pretty satisfying end product. Um, so that, that's, you know, what I, what I tend to do other than, you know, relax, watch Netflix, play video games, you know, go on walks. Um, yeah. Cool. Give us a Netflix recommendation. Oh man. Oh, that's so tough. Um, I actually only recently got into Fargo, which is a a TV show, um, set in, yeah, it's sort of, sort of about crime in, in the Midwest. And I will say, have you seen the movie, the original Coen Brothers? I saw the original movie. And so I thought the TV show would be very similar and it is in some ways, but it really isn't in (laughs) others. Um, uh, yeah, so that's, that's been a wild ride. Uh, other, I think, I think my favorite show that I've watched in the past year is probably Maniac, which is a Netflix original series. That is a show yeah. that is with worth Jonah Hill so. and, uh, yeah. Emma and, uh, Stone. Emma right? Stone. Yeah. yeah I saw it. It. Great, great show. <laughs> cool. Well, it seems like we have similar tastes, so hopefully <laughs> awesome. that's an opportunity to catch up again and chat yeah, more. For sure. uh, yeah. I wish you good luck with your, uh, uh program with your PhD. And uh, do get in touch when you have something exciting to share. We would love to uh, do more to make your work visible. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Nicholas.